Let's open our Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 23. 23, 23. And we'll read, beginning with verse 23. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, <clears throat> Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the last day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls, an offering, offering by, made by fire unto the Lord. And you shall do no servile work, uh, no work in the same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. By the way, that that's equivalent to the 16th chapter where we had on the day of atonement the goats offered for a sacrifice, and the high priest went in and uh, and took care of it. You know, and they had one goat for a sacrifice and one for a scapegoat. Remember, us studying that. In verse uh, 29, For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among the people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. He shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall, shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest. And you shall afflict your souls. And by the way, this Sabbath is, you know, all their Sabbaths were not the same of the, as the seventh day Sabbath. They had other Sabbaths besides the seventh day Sabbath. And uh, it says, uh, It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even, from even <clears throat> unto even, shall you celebrate. Your Sabbath. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles, or the feast of tabernacles, for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be an holy convocation. That means an assembly, by the way, a gathering together. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be an holy convocation unto you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and a drink offering, everything upon his day. Beside the Sabbaths of the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside your vows, and beside all your free will offerings which ye give unto the Lord. So that was in addition to the other offerings that we just named. Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take uh, you on the first day the boughs of the goodly trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of thick trees and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And ye shall keep it 
a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generations... Now look, this is the purpose of this feast of booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. So we've studied several of these feasts. And if you go back and look at it in the 23rd chapter, in verses 4 and 5, you have the feast of Passover. Look at verse 5. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even, the feast, the Lord's Passover. And then right after that in verse 6, you have the feast of unleavened bread. Now, uh, and then on down, you have uh, in verse 10, the feast of the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest. And it's quite a section of scriptures there. And on down in verse 16, even the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. And this feast is called the Feast of Pentecost. And then you drop on down to bring us where we are to, uh, tonight in our lesson in verse uh, 24. In the seventh month, it's a feast of a memorial of blowing of the trumpets. It's a feast of trumpets. Now then, this fifth feast that we're studying now came after a long lapse of time. Notice it was uh, in the beginning of the seventh month toward the close of the year, the Jewish year, came this feast. And it was called the Feast of the Trumpets. And prophetically, it, speak, it speaks of the, the trumpet sounding at the second coming of Christ, or we'll call it the rapture. And so it's been some 2,000 years in between the Pentecost and this time that will be the Feast of the Trumpets, and we have not gotten there yet. So there's a long interval of time, even here in the Scripture, between the Feast of Pentecost that we studied way back in verse, uh, verse uh, 16, and down here in verse 24, we're speaking of the Feast of the Trumpets and the blowing of the trumpets. So, we are really waiting prophetically for the trumpet to sound. And we'll get into that in a moment. And it's already been nearly 2,000 years that have passed. Now, when Jesus left this earth, He left the church with two distinct promises. He said He would send the Comforter and you find in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He tells them to wait till they be endued with power from on high and that they will uh, be empowered to witness. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, He tells us, the Bible tells us that these men stood and watched Jesus ascend up into the clouds. And they said, This same Jesus which is taken up from you shall so come in like manner as you've seen Him go away. So not only was the Holy Spirit going to come, the Comforter was sent to empower the church, but He promised He would come again. And in fact, in John chapter 14, 
He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he said, If in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Someone said, Well, you know, I don't know about the second coming of Christ. Well, he tells us about the second coming just as definitely and just as uh, truly as he told as the Bible tells us about his first coming. So if you believe he ever came, you'll believe he's coming again. And he's promised that he will. And uh, you and I have this hope before us. The Bible calls it the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Christ talked more, most about His coming again after His resurrection. After His resurrection. And He promised that He would come again. And the first message He sent back after His departure was the promise of His return. And the last promise in the Bible is the promise of His return. Look in Revelation 22, verse 20. He which testified these things saith, and, and Christ testified, Jesus testified of all these things in the book of Revelation. He which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come Lord Jesus. John adds that to it. says, well, he's ready for the Lord to come. So the last promise that Jesus made in the Bible was that he comes quickly. Now that doesn't mean that He would come in the next 30 minutes or the next day or the next week. It means that He would come suddenly. It means that He, he will come. And He tells us in Matthew's Gospel as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, even so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So we know it's going to happen in an instant time. You know, you, you see the lightning... And then in a little bit you hear the thunder, depending on how far away the lightning strikes. And you can gauge how far away the lightning was when you hear the thunder roar after that flash. You can determine about how long it took for it to reach your ears. And they tell me a way you can calculate it is by seconds, but I don't know just the calculation, but... It travels so fast after the lightning strikes. But anyway, Jesus promised that He would come. Now then, <clears throat> undoubtedly this fe feast of, uh, of trumpets is prophetic of the rapture of the church. And I want you to turn to two verses of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16 and 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 15. I want you to notice what it says here. It says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Now look at verse 16. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, 
And, and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the trumpet's going to sound. And then you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, if you will. 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to notice down in verse uh, 51. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now that's when the trumpet sounds that we'll be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So he's talking about two different people. He's talking about the dead in Christ rising first at the sound of the trumpet. And then we which are alive and remain caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so right now, the, the saints of God, the Christians living upon this earth today, are waiting and anticipating the sounding of the trumpet. And that's what that Feast of Trumpets represents in the Old Testament. And again, we say that there was a long interval of time in the year for Israel before that Feast of Trumpets. Between the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets, that interval of time took place. And we're, we're in that interval of time prophetically right now. And we're still waiting for the end of the year, so to speak. For the trumpet to sound. And when it does, those things that we just talked about. The first trumpet is the last trumpet of the church. That's the one we'll hear. The people of God at the sound of the trumpet will be assembled unto our leader, unto Jesus in heaven. This feast is even at the threshold today. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but it's upon the threshold. And then we find, we begin reading with verse 26, 27, 29, and 32, and we've already read it in this 23rd chapter. The Feast of Atonement. And this feast was a day of sorrow and affliction. Now we read it from the standpoint of what it was and what had to be offered on the Day of Atonement in the 16th chapter. Remember what happened back there? The high priest would single out two goats for a sin offering. That's in the 16th chapter. We have the Day of Atonement made. He made atonement for the children of Israel once a year. But here you have the reaction of the people, what they were to do. At the time that that sacrifice was offered, they were to afflict their souls. So now we see the people's response to that offering. All back in the 16th chapter of Leviticus, we saw what God did for the people. But how were they to do when this was being done for them? They were to humble themselves. And they were to repent of their sins. They were to afflict their souls. So you put the two together. Let's go back and just rehearse in our minds what happened for them. And then we'll talk about here what happened to them and with them. In this Feast of Atonement. Or the Day of Atonement, we'll call it. Now then, let's think of it a moment backward in the 16th chapter. Remember the two goats were chosen. They were brought before the Lord. One of them was killed. The blood was shed. And it was offered according to how God specified. The other goat 
was taken and the high priest would lay his hand upon the head of that live goat. And he would confess over the head of that live goat all the sins, all the iniquities of all the children of Israel. And they would choose a fit man or a proper man, a qualified person, to take that goat away, lead him away into the wilderness and turn him loose. And then the man would return. And you have a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. More than just shedding His blood, which was what He did for our salvation. But more than that, our sins were taken away into a land of forgetfulness at the same time. So Jesus fulfills both aspects of of that sin offering on the Day of Atonement. And in doing so, the Bible says that He took our sins as far as the east is from the west. So far hath He removed our transgressions from us. In fact, when John the Baptist beheld Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away, actually beareth away the sin of the world. So, John recognized that He was not only the Lamb of God that would die, But in doing so, He would bear away our sins into a land of forgetfulness. Isn't it amazing how the Scripture puts things? And that word says, beareth away, taketh away. He didn't take it all away in death. He paid the penalty and the sacrifice in death when He shed His blood. But in doing so, He took it away into a land of forgetfulness. And the Bible says, Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. God says He's buried them in the depths of the sea. He says He blotted them out as a thick cloud. And all of these things are put to our sins. That's a pretty wonderful situation, Christian friend, tonight to be in, isn't it? For your sins to be gone, gone, completely out of God's memory, He says, I'm not going to remember them. We, we can't put out of our memory, can we? But God says, I can do that. And He remembers that He's not, He remembers this, that He's not going to remember them against us. Doesn't mean God is going to forget anything. But it shows that He's going to not hold them against us anymore. All of our sins. And I believe you'll find in Psalm 103, is it? Where you'll find where he says, uh, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Let me check it out and see if I have the right psalm. I know I have the right verse, but I don't know if I have the right psalm. Uh, Yes, uh, Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. So remember Psalm 103, verse 12. Now then, uh, that's what happened when it was done for us. But here in the 23rd chapter of Leviticus, what were they to do? They were to, on this Day of Atonement, verse 27, it says a Day of Atonement. And in verse... uh, Let's see. Verse 29, it says, For whatsoever 
soul it be that shall not afflict, be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. Uh, several times in verse 27, he says, It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. What does it really mean? It it really means repentance and faith. It it means that they were trusting in this atoning sacrifice. That's faith, isn't it? And it means that they were doing it so with a, a humble spirit and repenting of their sins. Isn't that what we do when we come to the Lord for salvation? We recognize His sacrifice for us, the Lamb of God that beareth away the sin of the world, and in doing so, we repent of our sins and trust Jesus as our Savior. Isn't it wonderful how the Old Testament Bible pictures show us just exactly how we're to react in these New Testament times? And remember we, when we studied the Passover, the, the one that was first offered in recognition of the Passover lamb that was slain in the first part of the chapter. When we studied that, we gave you a New Testament Scripture where Paul says, for even Christ, our Passover. Christ is our Passover. Our Passover lamb, which is sacrificed for us. You see how the Old Testament ties in with the New Testament? And every once in a while, and you've heard me say this a hundred times before, If you haven't, well, you miss you miss ninety nine of them. But uh, anyway, uh, you've heard me say that some people say, "Well, I just study the New Testament." But you know the authority for studying the Old Testament. Remember the Scripture. How many remember it? Romans chapter fifteen. What is it? Verse four. And what does it say? You ought to write that down if you don't have it. Romans 15, verse 4. Paul says, for, listen carefully, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, that means the Old Testament, because Paul was just writing the New, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So if we do not study what was written aforetime, we do not have the patience and comfort of the Scriptures that the Old Testament provides. And it doesn't give us the hope that we have mentioned there. So Romans 15 verse 4 shows us that we should study the Old Testament in order to know uh, what the full influence and understanding of the Bible. So when you find someone said, well, you know, and I could give you Scripture after Scripture that would show you the same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's several verses, but Paul mentions there that what things that happened to Israel were in samples and their figures and examples of things that we should follow after and understand. Some things we were not to do because some of them were uh, many were destroyed of the destroyer. And we, we were to let those things that happened to Israel be examples to us as to what not to do. And it says, these were written for our examples. Uh, in Romans chapter 4, 
Think of this. Paul is talking about Abraham being justified by faith. And having the righteousness of God by faith. And God declared unto him righteousness. And he says, it was not written for his sake alone that he would be justified by faith. But for all us also, if we believe on him who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, then what? We're going to be justified by faith. Last part of the book of Romans. Chapter 4. Fourth chapter of Romans. And then, so you come to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, that means all that has gone before is what this is connected with. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that we have peace with God? Because we know He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised for our justification. And we're justified in the sight of God through His death and resurrection. And therefore, we can have peace with God. That's the way it, it happens. And that's the way it, it is uh, to be accepted of, of us. So, we find that back there, back to the point we were making, is that they were to afflict their souls. And uh, this is also uh, prophetic, not only of what happened to us individually, but the nation of Israel will return to the land of Palestine under the covenant of the man of sin. And immediately after the rapture, there will be a period of false peace on the earth. And then uh, they will be in mourning, in affliction in the book of Revelation. It's called in the Bible the time of Jacob's trouble. So their soul will be afflicted Prophetically, if we talk about Israel instead of about our individual, we've been talking about the evangelical side of it where we afflict our souls in response to accepting Christ. But they will afflict their souls the time of Jacob's trouble in the tribulation period when that comes upon Israel as a nation. And that's where we'll see that... Uh, they will make a covenant with a man of sin. And it's going to be broken. He will, they will break the, he will break his covenant with a Jew during that time. And that's when it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Let me see if I can find that in Zechariah chapter 12. And he talks about the time of Jacob's trouble. And there's other scriptures. Let me see if I can find the ones that I'd like to get. There's several passages of scripture. Let's see if I can get the ones that speak of what I'd like to, to give to you. Uh... Let me see if I can turn to Micah 4. In verse 4. Micah chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. But in the last days shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people 
shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. There it mentions the God of Jacob. And He will teach us His ways and we will walk in His path. For the law shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now then, He goes on to say, And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. But that's uh, there's another verse that I can't seem to find it right at the moment. But it's the time of Jacob's trouble. Look in Zechariah again. Maybe I just overlooked it. Chapter 14, maybe. I don't find the exact statement that I was looking for. But it does say that very same thing. And I won't belabor it right now, the point, but there's a scripture, one of these that I have, and I've got a whole cluster of them, that talks about that particular time. Now, let's look at Zechariah 12, verse 10 and 11. Maybe I'll run across it here. Verse 10 and 11. Well, verse 9 and 10 will show us at least that uh, time that they're mourning. In verse 9 it says, "...shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications." And so it says, "...and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and shall mourn for him as for one mourneth for his only son." And shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness uh, for his firstborn. So you find there that he's talking about the uh, fact that it will be a day of affliction and day of mourning for Israel. And uh, then you find in uh, 13 verse 6, let's see if I can find that. 13 verse 6 he says uh, and one shall say unto him what are these wounds in thine hands then shall he answer those which with which I was wounded in the house of my friends and that's where where he points out the fact that he was wounded for their sins in uh, Zechariah 13 verse 1 it says in there that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So they're going to look upon him whom they have perished and mourn for him as for an only son. Now then, uh, we're going to find that after their repentance, after their repentance, we're going to see the salvation, so to speak, of that whole nation. Look in the book of Romans, if you will, chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and verse 25 and 26. Paul says to the Romans and to we as Gentiles, he says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So Israel, even to this day, is in blindness as a nation, a people. But it says, and so 
So all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. In verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for my Father's sake. For the Father's sake. So there will be a time that the nation will repent and turn to God. And then will be brought to pass what you find uh, in the Scriptures that the Bible says, and we're still talking about this Feast of Tabernacles or booths, when they'll dwell safely. And uh, you'll find that there's a scripture in the book of 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25. Listen carefully. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. So, what they enjoyed in the way of rest and peace, in the Old Testament was classified as dwelling under his vine and under his fig tree, you'll find that that is going to happen again. And in fact, it tells us in uh, Malachi, not Malachi, in Micah, chapter 4 and verse 4. Well, let's read verse 3 and 4. We mentioned it a minute ago where it says, He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. They won't have they won't have any military academies. We won't be making any bombs and guns. They'll learn war no any more. Then it says in verse four, but they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And none shall make them afraid, for the for the Mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Think of that. Every man will dwell in peace and in rest. The nation of Israel will dwell in peace and rest. Because that's symbolical of their peace and their rest. As they did in the days of First King. In Solomon, when Solomon said that, you know, there was peace in the land. And that's where we read in First Kings 4, I believe, verse 25. And he said, in that day they dwelt under every man under his vine and under his fig tree. By the way, uh, the vine speaks of the religious life of Israel, and the fig tree spe- speaks of their national life. So, religiously and nationally, they will be at peace and rest. We can have peace individually in our hearts today in the midst of a world that is not at peace. But then they will have peace nationally and peace inwardly. And it's manifested by every man will dwell under his own vine and under his own fig tree. Oh, there's a multitude of scriptures. I'll just mention some if you want to jot them down. I'll mention some. And just write these scriptures down. We've given you Micah chapter 4 already. And then now Jeremiah 30 Verses 8 through 11. Jeremiah 31, verses 14 through 20. Isaiah chapter 2, the whole chapter. And Isaiah chapter 11, where it says that uh, Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 11 
In Micah chapter 4, we gave you that. By the way, when you think of Isaiah chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 11, it tells us about the wolf and the lamb lying down together. It tells us about a millennial reign and peace. And that's when they'll have peace during the millennium. And that's what that's what is prophesied by that feast of trumpets. They'll be dwelling in peace. And uh, there's so many scriptures. I'll give you some more if you want to jot them down. Zephaniah three fourteen and fifteen through twenty. Chapter eight of Zephaniah verses. 8 through uh, verses 20 through 23 and then chapter 14 of Zephaniah Haggai 2 verse 22 now I'll repeat them all because you probably got mixed up already Jeremiah 30 8 through 11 Jeremiah 31 14 through 20 Isaiah chapter 2 Isaiah chapter 11, Micah chapter 4, Zephaniah 3 verse 14, and 15 through 20, that's verses, chapter 8 verses 20 through 23, and all of chapter 14, and Haggai 2 verse 22, and you need to connect Romans 11, verse 25 and 26 with these, for sure. And the one I gave you in 1 Kings 4, verse 25. And all of it represents a connection with this feast uh, that is prophetic of the millennial kingdom of Christ. And by the way, you read of the millennial kingdom in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. Because in chapter 19 of Revelation, you find Jesus coming back again to this earth. The battle of Armageddon taking place. Judgment upon the Gentile nations. uh, Deliverance of Israel. And they enter into the millennial kingdom. The resurrection of uh, the martyred saints during the tribulation. They'll be resurrected. We will have already been with the Lord and come back with Him in Revelation 19 when He comes on His white stallion and the armies of heaven follow Him. And we will enter into the millennial kingdom as well. My, what a day that's going to be, huh? When Israel will be at peace, nations will be judged, the saints of the tribulation, the martyrs of the tribulation will be resurrected, all the raptured church of this day and age and all the saints of God that are in heaven of Old and New Testament will come back with Jesus from heaven in 19th and they'll enter into that millennial kingdom. And there'll be a thousand years of righteousness and peace. And then some more things happen after that. And I can't preach the whole Bible in one night. So... We'll have to let that suffice. We'll pick up with our...